Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning. The Bible really is an amazing book. A couple of friends met up who hadn't seen each other since high school. One of them had been first in his class, the valedictorian. The other, uh, average grades. The first one had been very successful, but the second one with the average grades had also done extremely well. And the valedictorian was kind of curious about how that had happened. He asked his friends, how's everything been going with you? And his friend said, well, you know, one day I just, I took my Bible out and I, I opened it at random and I took my finger and I just dropped it on. And when I looked under my finger, it said oil. And so I, I went out and I invested in oil and struck it big, made lots of money. And so I did it again. I closed my eyes and I stuck my finger down and opened the Bible and stuck it down. And when I looked, it was gold. And so I, I went and I spent, invested in gold and boy, did it just do fantastic. Well, the valedictorian friend, after hearing all this later that evening, as he got home back to his motel, hotel, he, he pulled out the drawer beside his bed where the Gideon Bible was, and he thought, okay, if it could work for him, surely it would work for me. He took his Bible, he opened it, he put his finger down, and when he looked under his finger, it said, chapter 11. <laughs> well, Christians make a big deal about the Bible, but why? Why does it matter so much? In our Believe series, there's, there is, there's a logic to the order of our topics. In week one, we asked, who is God? And, and, and if he is who he says he is, and we get a handle on that, then the next logical question from week two was, then does God care about me? We concluded that he does, which led to last week's question, so how then do I have a relationship with this God? And we saw that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment upon himself so that we could be forgiven. Our sins could be forgiven. We could be saved is the word we used, opening the door for us to now be able to have a relationship with God, that, that there were benefits in, in our life today in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, and not just simply someday off in the future when we die. And by the way, if you've missed any of these, we have them on our website, on our Facebook page, and also in our, on our Right Now Media page. So the natural reaction to realizing we've been saved from hell and, and, and death to experience joy is to have gratitude. And that leads me to, to want to know him better, to want to please him. And so we come to our key question today. How do I know God and his will for my life? How is, what can I do? How, what, what makes my life pleasing to him? And the testimony of the Christian faith has been that the Bible is the key to this. This key idea is that I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. For some of you, you may know this. For others, this may be new. The Bible is 66 actually different books divided in the Old Testament and a New Testament written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. And yet the whole Bible these 66 different books is a single story of God's relationship with us, with, with the Old Testament telling the story prior to the time of Jesus and the New Testament telling the story of Jesus and the founding of his church to carry on the mission and ministry as the body of Christ. 
And so our key verse today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the, the, the part of all of that, we could take that apart, we could spend weeks just dissecting that, that one, those two verses, but the part that sticks out to me this morning is the claim that the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Not some of it, not parts of it, not the parts I like, not the parts that just make sense to me. I can't simply ignore the dismiss parts like I don't like the Old Testament. I don't understand some of the stuff in Leviticus or Numbers. Some of those Psalms are, it's really hard for me to read. All of it is the Word of God, not the Word of man. The fundamental belief is that God is behind the Bible, using it to reveal himself to us so that we can know him, so we can have a relationship with him. And, and, and that's why, to me, there are different translations, but the translation that we're using this morning for this scripture from the NIV, the newer NIV, is the, the phrase, God breathed. Some of your translations say inspired, and that's a great word. But God breathed is actually the literal translation of what the original text was in Greek. And, and, and when we use the, in, the word inspired, sometimes it loses some of the force. See, the word here, God breathed, in, in its Greek means to breathe out rather than into. To breathe out. It's not as if God looked over all of these different religious writings. He said, you know, I like this one more than the rest, so I'm going to breathe into it. Instead, what Scripture is saying is that God's breath is the actual source or origin of Scripture. That's why we can talk about Scripture being sacred. He breathed them out into existence. Second Peter in chapter 1 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is from God, empowered by His Spirit. It all has authority for us because it is all from the creator, from our creator, the one who made us. When I stand up here and I, and I quote scripture to you, my, my intent isn't to tell you, hey, this is what Randy thinks. This is what this pastor thinks who has spent doing this for 30 years, who's been to, to seminary, who has a degree, all this kind of stuff. You know, maybe that could carry a little bit away, but ultimately, there are a lot of other people who would have similar or even greater credentials that could stand up here and say something else. Why, do, why would my thoughts or my words carry any more significance than anyone else? I mean, this is an important question. I'm sure I don't do it perfectly, but my goal is that everything I tell you is grounded in what God says. Because if he really is God, and that's what we, that's a conclusion that many of us reached in the very first week of the series. If he really is God, then what he says matters. In fact, what he says 
has total and final authority. It's not what Randy says. It's, it's why all through the Old Testament you read prophets saying, thus saith the Lord. It's why in the New Testament the Apostle Paul, as he's writing, is very careful to distinguish between things he received from the Lord and things that he thinks probably make sense. But there are some things he's very clear are from the Lord. It's why the Jewish authorities were so upset with Jesus because they kept, everybody kept saying he is one who spoke as with authority. He, in fact, claimed to be God, to speak on God's behalf, to speak God's word. And when we gather here this morning, when we gather in our homes or at work or wherever, and when we look at God's word, if it really is God-breathed. And I would tell you, uh, to me, that means not just in its writing, but also in its reading, in its understanding, that the Spirit works in that. It, that, to me, says that I never know when God is going to do something, reveal something, open a door to something. It's not just, am I smart enough? Did I study enough? God is the actor God is the one at work in Scripture, not me, not even you. And so we, 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 we kind of set Scripture aside very dangerously because we miss this, this opportunity to hear and listen to God. So our key verse, 2 Timothy 3, tells us that God has all authority for showing us how to live our lives in ways that are, that are God-honoring, that are God-pleasing. And if you, if you want to know God's will for your life, let me just tell you, most of it is already there in Scripture. I don't, I mean, this is not a, I, this is from Randy. If I said 95%, but it feels that way to me, 90 or 95% of, of, of how we are to live is very clearly spelled out in scripture. I mean, he, God may not care whether or not I prefer vanilla ice cream or Rocky Road. But for all the things that matter that affect me, that affect you, that affect others, the Bible has answers. How do I treat others? What is my attitude about work? What is my attitude while working? How do I care for my family? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? How can I make a difference? Should I make a difference? God shows us these things in his word, the Bible. Now, I mean, let's pause there and say a legitimate question is, well, how do we know the Bible is true? I mean, I think it's a very legitimate question. The Bible says it's true, but I mean, you kind of get into kind of circular reasoning if you think, okay, well, the Bible, we say the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true, that the Bible is true because it says it's true. I mean, some would argue that's circular reasoning. Ultimately, yes, it is 
a, 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 a question of faith. And yet I would tell you it's not a blind leap of faith, but one built on solid evidence that there have been many folks through the years who have set out to disprove the Bible and concluded after digging into it, after searching, that it actually took more faith to not believe God and his word than to believe. So what is some of the evidence? First is the evidence of history. The Bible is a book rooted in history, in the lives of real people. It's not all, it's not all stories made up, in real people in real places. And again and again, folks have tried to say that, that events recorded in the Bible didn't really happen. But it's proven itself true. For instance, if you've read parts of the Old Testament, it talks about a, a number of different people groups who lived in the, the area of the promised land before the, the Hebrews arrived, and one of those groups was the Hittites. And for centuries, outside of the Bible, there was no archaeological evidence for their existence. And so some people started suggesting it had been made up. Somebody started saying, well, if that's not true, then, then maybe a lot of the parts of the Bible aren't true. Until the early 1900s, when a group of archaeologists digging in Turkey found the capital city of the Hittites, proving the Bible in that matter was accurate. In more recent years, there have been claims that the kings David and Solomon weren't real, that they had been created by, as a Jewish myth for, for reasons of, of creating a, a, a legitimate ownership of the land and what is today Israel. And many in the Islamic community have sought to disprove Israel based on, on their belief that, that they did not really exist. In the 1990s, archaeologists unearthed a stone fragment from 831 BC that talked about the house of, and it used in Hebrew the letters DWD, uh, you need to know that in Hebrew there are no vowels. So, you know, you and I think of words, and we can think of a number of words that if you insert the vowels, and also the, the letter W would become a V in our language. And so some suggested it was actually a, 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 a local deity called Dodd. And, and they used that to say, see, it, it, this doesn't prove anything. But the, the fragment of stone of this would have been found on a year, almost, uh, almost to the day, a year later, the, the, they found additional fragments. And as they looked at those fragments from that original stone, it became very clear to them that the, that the DWDs talked about David, not Dodd. There was archaeological evidence for somebody from about the right time period who was a king, a leader by that name. Even the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ is attested to in non-Christian documents. I mean, you would think, yeah, the Christians will write about it, but why would others? If they don't want it to be true, if they don't want to acknowledge it. There is considerable external evidence that continues to prove events and people in the Bible were real. Second, though, the evidence of consistency itself throughout the Bible. 40 authors, now just think about that for a minute, 40 authors from radically different backgrounds, you've got kings, you've got peasants, from over 1,500 years, here we are in the 21st century, think back to somebody writing in the 5th or 6th century, all give an amazingly consistent account of often very controversial topics. I mean, it's hard to get any 40 of us together in a room and agree on big stuff. 
And to do this in different times, in different places, and to tell a consistent story of God's love for the people he created and plans to redeem. We see these themes running from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of the last book, the book of Revelation, like someone had a plan in its writing. And consistency can also be applied to our copies of these various writings. Now, you need to know, we have no original copies or versions of any of these writings. But that's true of all ancient texts. It's not just true of the Bible. And yet, when you look at here, I've got a chart and I've used this before. You start looking at some of these other texts that were written within four or 500 years of the life of Jesus. And, and these are well-known texts written. And here is the earliest copy we have in existence. 900 AD, 900 AD, 1100 AD, 900. So the time span from when it was written to when we have the earliest copy, over 1,000 years or 900 years in a couple of cases. And the number of copies, eight. 8, 20, 9 or 10, 20. Now turn to the New Testament. Written between 40 and 100 A.D. Earliest copies that, that we have, 130 A.D., with full manuscripts by 350 A.D. So look at the time frame. From the writing to the earliest copies, at most 300 years. And look at the number of copies. Almost 25,000, or over 25,000 different copies. In addition, in other writings, in other words, other Christians writing letters and quoting this scripture, we have all but about 15 or 20 verses of the entire New Testament. That even if we didn't have those texts, we could go back to their writings and put together the New Testament just from the quotes. There is this incredible supernatural consistency found throughout the Bible that no other writing of that time has. We have a thousand or ten thousand more documents than any of those. And yet, people don't question those documents, but they'll question the Bible. Finally, uh, the evidence of changed lives. I mean, this is subjective, and, and we can go around this room, and many of you have a story to tell of how God has worked in your life, especially as you were reading God's Word and, and it revealed something to you or it sparked a, a, an awareness in you or, or in reading you even came to faith. And what's more, you know, we see those changed lives going all the way back to biblical times, advancing a movement and a faith with this incredible consistency across centuries and continents and cultures and persecutions. I mean, my life, my single life, my single changed life might be, might be a fluke. Someone could say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you're just one guy. But you look, you look across this room at hundreds of lives, not everyone in this room may have that story, but hundreds of us do. You look across this church, there are thousands of lives. You look across this community, there are tens of thousands of lives. You look around the world from the, from the start of the church of the you have billions of lives. It becomes overwhelming. There really are good grounds, reasonable grounds, to believe what Scripture says. So, 
application. What difference does this make then and how I live? And all of this, all of this takes us back to what the Bible itself claims for itself, that because it is from God, the God who is the one true God, the God who created us, the God who loves us and cares about us, it is authoritative for our lives. It tells us God's will for how we are to live. It tells us how to be God-honoring in establishing and growing a relationship with him. When we, when we trust the Bible's authority for our lives and obey, we are demonstrating our love and our trust in God. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Obedience is this mark of faithful love and, and gratitude, and it is a, a direct look into our hearts as to whether or not we truly love God, that we are willing to trust him in every detail. God created us. Jesus died for us. He has the right to expect obedience. It's not just it would be a nice thing for us to do. He has the right. And, of course, it's easy to obey when things work in my favor, when it looks good for me, when it looks good to my friends. It is a whole different matter when obedience calls me to look strange or weird around others, when it calls me to sacrifice my time, talent, or treasure, when it calls me to even suffer, listen, suffer for the cause of Christ. Or even just when it doesn't seem to make sense or seem to have all the purpose I think that particular action ought to have. All too often, when I dis disobey, what I'm really doing is I'm putting myself in the place of God as the final arbiter of what is good, what is right, what is needed, because I think I know best. That story sounds remarkably like Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve. And yet as parents, those of us who are parents, we know our kids sometimes don't understand some of our rules, but we, we know that discipline and even punishment is necessary when they obey because we're looking at a bigger picture. Sometimes our commands could literally make the difference between life and death so that I stop my child from sticking their finger in an outlet or I stop my child from running out into the street without looking first. We teach our children obedience knowing that if they disobey us in little things, they are more likely to disobey us in the big things that could dramatically affect their lives. Back in the 1980s, the rock band Van Halen. We got any Van Halen fans out there? Yeah, I thought, I thought we'd have a few. Known for hard, playing hard rock, and, and, and many consider them kind of the epitome of rock star divas. At least it seemed that way. They had a very strange clause in their contract. It was called Article 126, and this is what it stated. There will be no brown M&Ms in the backstage area upon pain of forfeiture of the show with full compensation. Seriously, I mean, that's, that's out of their contract. I mean, it, seemed, it seems nuts. I mean, we listen to that and we say, oh my gosh, <laughs> these, these guys, are, they're, they're just narcissists. I mean, it's, it's crazy. 
But in reality, there was something more going on here, an attention to detail. See, Van Halen played in dozens of, of, of venues every year. Their, their entourage included nine tractor-trailer rigs with trailers. And, and the setup contract was the size of a, you remember what a phone book was? <laughs> the size of a phone book. And there were specifics in there like there will be 15 amperage voltage sockets at 20-foot spaces evenly, providing this many amps. David Lee Roth, front man, turns out had a knack for details. And he knew that he did not have time to recheck all the, the venue's work. So the, this unique clause was inserted to help them quickly identify whether or not the contract had been thoroughly read. That as soon as they arrived on a scene, they would walk backstage to see the bowl of M&Ms. And if there were any brown ones in there, then they knew immediately that the contract had not been closely read. And it immediately changed how they looked at and dealt with everything else. Authors Dan and Chip Heath wrote, In Roth's world, a brown M&M was the canary in the coal mine. I want to tell you all something. Our obedience in the little daily things says much the same thing. Our daily ongoing obedience, not to earn God's favor and be saved, but in gratitude for him having saved us, marks whether we believe him, whether we trust him, whether we ultimately really love him. And disobedience is a mark of sin, of not believing and trusting God. Disobeying God in the little things or the details when it's not convenient, when it doesn't fit my plan, all those kinds of things. Signals as clearly as the brown M&Ms that there is a much bigger problem. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, as, as God's revelation progressed through, through the Bible, through the writing of the Bible, through the, 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 the centuries, some of the early laws were replaced with bigger principles. But the principles were always there from the very beginning. The Bible testifies that we can trust living by it. That even when we don't see the point or the purpose, God has one. And we can trust that he will do what he says. In Isaiah, the Lord said, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, having said all that doesn't mean that reading the Bible is always an easy thing. Um, we're in this 
for the long haul, for the lifetime journey. We've uploaded some materials to our, our website's Find It page, uh, as well as Right Now Media, that, to help. Just some basics, just some background. We offer classes from time to time, including an ongoing Bible study that's just about studying God's Word. In our Believe series, we have intentionally created daily readings as a way to help many of us in here begin spending time in God's Word each day to get to know Him, to get to, to sense His will. And, and, you know, the questions that are in here, some of you, sometimes people say, well, I, I, they're the same questions every day. But what might we be teaching you is how to read any scripture with these questions, or ones like them. They're not magic. But you could take these questions and you could apply them to any part of scripture to study God's word to seek to better understand what God is trying to say. We encourage you to have a Bible. Or if digital is more important to you, the YouVersion Bible app. There are other Bible apps, but it's free. And, and, and it has so many great things, including reading plans. The YouVersion Bible app has reading plans. Some of them are very short, some of them are very long, as a tool to get you invested in reading and to keep on reading. See, we understand that God breathed means God didn't just create Scripture to put on a shelf, but he also breathed its life into us today as we read, as we study, as we gather together to hear it preached, as we gather in groups to discuss it. And here's the thing. We can set it aside and wonder why we never hear from God, or we can do the things that God calls us to do. And it doesn't mean in every instance. Like God, we can beck and call and say, God, okay, come, come now. But in the right circumstance, in the right setting, God will speak. I told you this before, and it's not about me. Sometimes people walk out and say, how did you know that? Or how... I wasn't even planning to come today, and that was like, it was like it was directed to me. Well, I didn't know that. That was God. That was the Holy Spirit at work. When God is working through his word, those kinds of things happen. So why do we engage in worship every week? Why do we spend time in God's word every day? Why do we come together in groups together? Not because it's all about me. It's because I never know when God is going to speak, but he will speak at his timing, and it is always the right time. And if I am not opening myself to that, if I'm not trusting him and believing, then I may very well miss God's will for my life. I may very well go off in some crazy direction. It's not that it's not there. It's that we, don't, we want it to be spoon-fed to us. And God says, you're adults. <laughs> you can do this. I don't have to, to spoon-feed you all the time. The Bible says we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We read that scripture and we think that means things are always going to work out good. But the scripture says it's, the good comes to those who love him. Those who, who are, and what does scripture say? To love him means to obey him. And so to demonstrate that, to experience his love, to experience what he wants to do, it means that we have to obey him. 
The blessings of God are found in the obedience of God. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. What makes sense to me? Why, why I can't figure this out. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We say it every week in this series, our beliefs have consequences. If we want God's will to be done in our lives, if we want his best, his good, then we don't pick and choose the things we like from Scripture. Can't I just turn the Ten Commandments into the Eight Commandments? No. Instead, we give our lives, ourselves wholeheartedly to aligning our lives to God's calling in our lives, which is revealed in his word, and he promises that if we live by that kind of radical obedience, he will write a good story for our lives. It doesn't mean a perfect story. It doesn't mean a pain-free story. But in a world racked with sin and evil, it is a story that triumphs over sin and death forever. The Bible is God's word to guide you and me so that we can know him and please him for all he has done for us. Our scripture, I mean, our prayer team will be down here if you need to talk to any of them about some of these things. If you're a guest with us today, um, I'm gonna be out here with some friends and love to say hello to you, glad you're here today. But let's just close now in prayer and ask God to help us with this thing called scripture. Gracious God, as we are here together this morning, for some of us, we, we love spending time in your word. And for others of us, it's hard. And, and, and we'd be honest if we said boring and even maybe irrelevant. But perhaps, God, that's because we haven't understood. We haven't looked closely. We haven't, we haven't waited upon you. We haven't dug in. We've been content to just give it a cursory scan. We, we, we've, been, we've made ourselves in, in many times the final arbiters of, well, this makes sense. That doesn't make sense. Like somehow we see everything. We would never allow our children to live that way. And yet we, your children, all too often try to live that way around you. Help us, Father, to seek you with our whole hearts because you tell us if we seek you, we will find you. Help us to spend time in your word. Help us to trust what you tell us in your word to the point where it's not just knowledge in our head, but it's conviction in our heart that we live, that we might do your will, that we might be your people, that you might use us in your redemption of the world, that we might glorify you in every moment of our lives. We pray, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.